Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between, that is Eddie Vega. And that is Chibi Ordunia. And this is Words and Shit. Brought to you by The Blah Poetry Spot and Write Art Out. The show where you get to know the person behind the poetry. Eddie, I don't think I know something about you. What is that? What? Open book. <laughs> Many books. What is your favorite color? Um, it's the blue-gray of the sky after an August afternoon rain. You you couldn't just say slate. You had to make it into a haiku, right? Great. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's there's there's blue, but there's a tint of gray in there, but it's deeper blue. It's not quite slate. Slate's a little bit more gray. Mm. I would say blue is my favorite color, but specifically mm. that, you know, but I've always, you know, people have said that I look good in blue, uh, mm. which I, it appealed to me. So I usually like, you know, I perform in blue. Oh. Yeah. I don't know if you, if you realize that. That's your lucky color too. Yeah. So it's my look, my people have said I look good, but then somebody told me once that everybody looks good in blue. So then I stopped believing that. And <laughs> But I'm not, whatever, I still do it. I still, I'll still try. Okay. What do we do? I, I, I kind of assume. Well, well, okay, wait, before we jump to me, because I was going to say, too, like, so it's your favorite color. To the point where you kind of created a poem just to describe your favorite color. Have <laughs> you ever written, like, an ode to that particular shade of blue or anything yeah, like that? That's, that's a, that's a, sounds like a cool project. Ah. I think I might, I might try that. I, I know I've written that line before, or something, something, something like that line uh, about somebody having a, a girl having eyes like that particular shade of blue. Maybe mm. that, might be, that might be somewhere in a writing in a journal somewhere. But you're right. I think I do need to like you know. Where has that shade of blue shown up in your life? Mm. Mm. I'm, gonna to, I'm gonna have to do some research now. You can take. Well, what that. about you? Because like you, I figure I don't know. You have a common theme in, in your in your wardrobe. Most people do assume that my favorite color is black, mostly because I have worn basically all black since about the seventh grade. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah commitment. Really? And part of that was by choice. And then when I got a job at Mac, it was by force because that was mm -hmm. the dress code. And I just felt right. And everyone says, I look really good in black. There you go. But that's not my favorite color. No. So then what is it? Because black is actually the absence of color. Or no, that's white. Black is the, the combination of color. all the colors combined. So my favorite color, because I'm a Gemini, is purple. All right, that 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 seems to fit. Is there a specific problem? Um, hmm. Definitely Do you have a about purple. Definitely more blue-based purple. Blue-based purple. Mm -hmm. Over red-based purple. Like if it starts to lean a little too far fuchsia, I'm not into it. Okay. You know, it's like that royal eggplant purple that I really like. The eggplant one. Mm-hmm. But no, I've never written about it Dang. because it's always just been so cut and dried to me. Your favorite color, purple, boom. Yeah, you know? yeah. But it was so intriguing because we had this conversation mm -hmm. with Noel Quinones. Yeah. Who and now? That, huh? No, and there was a color that was just very particular to him. Well, not just one. He's apparently writing an entire series. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dedicated to colors. And it's... It's not the kind of because when you when you think about like write a write a poem about your favorite color, it sounds very elementary, right? <laughs> you can just picture all the third graders <laughs> and the little rhyming poems that they've created. I love red. It makes me anyway. I... It's the best. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> um, but no, it goes so deep, and he is able to intertwine so many different ideas. And somehow relate them back to color. That I was, I was blown away, and I felt kind of the moment that you had right now. That maybe I need to examine color mm -hmm. and write about it. Good idea. Mm -hmm. Let's get into this conversation. 
Noel Quiñones, a Puerto Rican writer, performer, and community organizer from the Bronx. As a writer, he's received fellowships from Poets House, the Poetry Foundation, Canto Mundo, Candor Arts, and SAFTA, that's the Sundress Academy for the Arts. His work has been published in Poetry, the Latin American Review, Rattle, Quelly Journal, Elsewhere. As a performer, he's been at Lincoln Center, Harvard University, the Brooklyn Academy of Music, that's B-A-M, BAM, the 9-11 Memorial Museum, and the Honolulu Museum of Art, just to name a few. He is the founder and former director of Project X, a Bronx-based arts organization, but currently, right now, he's getting an MFA in poetry from the University of Mississippi. And uh, I, hey, I just met this guy, and he's he seems to be really, really nice. So we're really excited to have him with us. Noel, my curly-haired friend. What's up? Hey, How are you? I'm great. <laughs> You look like you're feeling your best life right now. You know, I I am. You know, any any chance to get dressed up these days uh, is a true uh, <laughs> occasion. Are you fully dressed up, or did you just like like from you know? Because I'm not only have my, all my buttons buttoned. I'll be honest. I'm I'm not even gonna lie. I almost was like, you know, I could just stay in the boxes, but I put jeans on. I was like, you know what? I'm I'm just gonna put the jeans on. Respect, respect. <laughs> we appreciate that. So now. Without further ado, let's just start off the way we do every show, hand the show over to you, and uh, let's hear some poetry. Yeah. Yay. Thanks, y'all. Uh, so, so happy uh, to be here and to be reading poems uh, that I've been working on while in my MFA, which, which means a lot to me. Um, I've been having a fantastic time here. All right. So uh, I'm going to start with this poem. Um, a lot of my work has to do with color, uh, specifically my favorite color, which is orange, which is also so lit that it's orange on the borders. Uh, so I'm gonna start with, uh, I think I'm gonna open and close with an orange poem. Uh, so we'll start with this one. <clears throat> Naranja. Freak, sun fucker, faggot, orange boy. If I have a gender, let it be a history learned from orange. Every day I was the rumor of sixth grade sunrise, dressed in you, a child of singular obsession, bold-blooded and begging in orange to my mother's name, Dahlia, daughter of Caribbean botanist, her kaleidoscopic color, my one lineage reaching toward orange, considered the key to making a philosopher's stone, men flirted with volcanoes to retrieve your lethal arsenic, pigment of orange. One day I will break my mother's heart and run away with you. Already that good lip, my finished nail, this torso laid bare for orange. English, inherited sin, in need of ordering, you teach me to defy it. Unrhyming, obnoxious, forbidden fruit, you blossoming orange, you dangerous desire, you hungry two-faced beast so demanding I kneel in your fire illuminating and consuming all to orange. And when I learn your Spanish name, undressed in man's orchard, I am a country of soft bodies to pith and praise. Noel, Nino de Naranja. All right. So that was a huzzle uh, that just kept returning to uh, Naranja or orange. Uh, and I think I'm just going to keep running through some uh, different poems that have to do with uh, color, um, since that's been uh, my focus. Uh, so this poem is, uh, it's blue, uh, and it's dedicated to the first time that I got my nails uh, done professionally uh, in a nail salon. Uh, so shout out to uh, Washington Heights, shout out uh, to Little Dominican Republic, um, where I got my nails done. <clears throat> Baby, it's bold outside. Jellish. Uh, oh, side note, the names of nail polishes are very poetic. And I believe that everyone should write a poem based on the name of a nail polish. So the title is based on the nail polish that I got. Baby, it's bold outside. Jellish. Angie works toward the whispered news of my thumb. The nail salon, a routine congregation where I am anything but recognized. Misunderstood in azul y cuerpo. Lapis, such a rare color in nature. I am many men left at the rim of thirst and quiet. 
Disgusted by ultimatum, I grind ultramarine, Co clothe my virgin keratin in an attempt, call it oxymoron, where to shed is to gain worship, polish escaping into the hidden triggers of my teeth. I dare celebrate the painting and the peel, each nail a cassius blue stumbling towards its first spring. Now I say things like I want instead of I sometimes. My color in the doorway's cuticles, my lover's shoulder blades, delphiniums, stems where I once laid my palms, and what am I left with? Continents unveiling themselves. I let Pangea come again. In the slow misplacement of myself, I am whole. None spoke of touching blue to blue, that when searching the sea for permanence, I find ten thieves pocketing air for tomorrow, for never too late. I have always wanted to be this bold, lay bare within the hands of a Dominican woman who asks, ¿Estás seguro que quieres este color? And I whisper, yes. All right. So, this one, that one, so many colors. Uh, I'm gonna go with this one. Uh, so this poem um, is in part dedicated to my father um, and uh, a concert I went to. It was an Azalea Banks concert, uh, which is a very complex discussion uh, and experience. Um, but uh, it's dedicated to my father, who's an amazing dancer, um, and also uh, kind of to the color uh, purple, pink, ish. Yeah. Night plays my father's song after the Azalea Banks concert. A slow malice dedicated to the unmasking. Nail polished next to the bejeweled sunlit. Now who is who is transition. Thin white cloth, prayer for touch with the goddess of a darling ego. But oh, it was never about you. Just a boy with a green bottle perched on his lips, asking me if this was what I wanted. Shallow linens fall about me. I choose fluorescence, surrounded by queer men looking so hungry for. Boppy said, I never drank when I danced, or if I did, I would sweat the liquor onto the walls. My father hungered for himself. I hunger for someone to consume me. No one kisses you because you don't know your own lips. Just wear them out at night. What disappears as despararacido in any clothing. You sink into the breath of night. You are only an echo. If I wanted joy, I didn't. If I wanted his body, I wouldn't. Dare sink so toothless into milk. All right. So I think I wanna keep going. Yeah, I'll keep going uh, with one's about my dad or for my dad, um, my parents. Uh, divorced uh, when I was three years old um, because my father came out uh, as a gay man. Uh, and so this poem deals uh, a little bit with that. Uh, and the poem is called Out. Oh, I guess you should know I used to be a high school teacher. Important note. <laughs> out. I'm handing out handouts to my students. I see Charlie's nails painted pink. My God, there it is. My hand out in the photo albums of my family. I call Mark Anthony, my future husband. Theo Etwin calls my mother. Is this just another chapter of her marriage? I am only the recording of their misvows. I must not spill into another misery. Dig my fingertips into this boy's mouth. I want to know why his throat leads to my father's, my nails. God, what a landscape of transitions all about him. The coarse blades of grass cutting my memory of a springtime divorce. Boppy says, never tell your mother until you know you would carve colors from this body. Until you know you would leave your son within its husk for warmth. All right. I got for me. I have like poems all over this desktop right now because uh, I am not an organized individual uh, in any way. Uh, let's see. I think, yeah, I think I'll 
switch it up and go for this poem. Uh, so <clears throat> this poem is uh, for my mom. Um, <clears throat> and when I was a kid, we would, uh, <clears throat> I would compete in my elementary school and middle school uh, science fairs. Uh, and my mom was very dedicated uh, to doing this. I loved science. Uh, and so this is a poem uh, about uh, that. Um, and it's uh, actually after Eve L. Ewing, another amazing, amazing uh, poet, uh, and inspired by Wanda Diaz Merced, who's a Puerto Rican scientist uh, who's blind, who figured out a way to listen to the stars. Um, and she's an astronomer, and that shit is crazy. Uh, so yeah, the science fair. I'm eight years old. Mount St. Michael's Academy, Mount St. Michael Academy's gymnasium shimmies with Bronx kids brushing the universe's shoulders off and collecting her secrets. We are all falling in love with asking questions. Mommy takes my name tag and scribbles in the Enya they always forget. Kneeling and balanced on one hand, she traces my ironed clip-on tie, carefully smoothing out the seatbelt creases. My little astronomer, she whispers, at table 227, we park our shopping cart and set up my trifold cardboard display, jet black ink pads, laminated handouts. She takes a picture of me with a disposable camera that captures so much light. That night, she lets me sleep with my blue ribbon first place medal and my telescope. Suddenly, our apartment ceiling opens into a darkness I'd only seen peeking from behind mommy's stare. She places two honey gold subway tokens on each of my eyelids, pentagons squeezing rainbows from my night. Shuttling my ear to the lip of the telescope, she tells me to listen for the spacious wonder, the joy produced by the detection of a titanic celestial. I never open my eyes again. My bed becomes a space shuttle, plastic and foam bending at light speed. She says this is not music. And neither are we, dancing like Juan Bobos to the vacuum of space. But all movement has a signature. If you wanted to follow it, she says, I would take you there, Papa. I would take you anywhere. All right. So I'm going to do two more. Uh, so this one is also about my mom. Uh, and specifically, <clears throat> it's, uh, my mom is a twin, my mom and my aunt, uh, and they were both named after flowers, uh, which I just think is a beautiful uh, thing. And you, you just have those moments where it's just like, that's a poem. Uh, so that's where this came from. Uh, and this is uh, after another poet, Ross Gay. The poem is called, Mommy Was Named After a Flower. Abuela gardened the gift of symmetry within the pocket of summer naming her twin daughters, Dahlia and Daisy. Mommy, we are a lineage of flower beds, and I fear I have avoided my true name. You, teacher of saplings, at the front of your class, calling me Papalingo, sweet as the earth of your name. Years from now, I hope to taste the word for what I am doing with this body, unrelated to another's craving. I have been tempted to settle my flesh as tradition, but what bright whispers call my language to pith, reminding me there is a color that follows. When I was a baby's breath, you took my two half moons dipped in marigolds and we finger painted a world where spring was ours. Shall we dance to your surprise, your worst fear, planting un papa and finding una flor? And this is my last poem. Uh, this poem is dedicated uh, to one of my really, really great uh, friends, um, Erika. Uh, and this poem is Purple. <clears throat> the Cost. Oh, this poem is also, shout out to San Antonio. Um, San Antonio is a fantastic city, and I really love every time I get to go there. <laughs> the Cost. The violet warning of a San Antonio sky is more than I can fathom. May 5th, an offering to idols as we talk desert talk. Hybrids in the last city daring to dance at language's edge. You tell me spirit considers you a river. And we don't pray for dams as often as we pray for rain. Your eyes, two quilted burdens, 
recount how a body's knowing can paralyze a woman so close to God, even her mouth poses. And oh, as willing and unwilling balance themselves toward grace. What terrible sanctuaries we have come to call home. Edmana, my lips matched the morning, and I wept with the mirror's soft answer. I told my last and only love not to come back until sunrise. So often, I wonder myself, just a few bones barren of a path, if I can call my body a complex animal and mean it. Purple on my crescent knees, waking towards Sunday's judge, as the transient witness to my own levies, I lay belly up in La Guamiel, as you offer nature's promise. All queerness comes at a cost, and I don't know what you mean until I do. The search for my original name shaded by yours, this little healing you've built in me, this little cause for love. That's so great. I saw a whole audience here on Riverwalk. Uh, yeah, you were, you were you know, talking to them. You were talking to, basically, you're talking to the designers because they're, they're the ones that put the dams up. And you're like, nobody oh, pays yeah. for dams like they do for... That's a great line, and then you, you're so right. Nobody <laughs> talks about the engineers. You know? <laughs> okay, so I want to get into this real quick because orange is your favorite color. A, l- a little backstory. Oh, yeah. Um, in middle school, my middle school mascot were the shorthorns, uh-huh. and our colors were blue and orange. In high school, my high school mascot were the longhorns, and our colors were orange and white. I went to college at the University of Texas in Austin, where the colors <laughs> were orange and white. And I don't know how we ended up with orange being the color of this show, but I have lived my entire life surrounded by orange and hating it because nobody looks good in orange. Nobody oh, I, I beg to differ. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. Hold on. No, before you go on. <laughs> This isn't about. Weren't you the one that came up with like this color scheme and the flyer and all that stuff? No, Canva gave us the flyer. The orange was just the colors. Canva just chose that. All right, go ahead. Yeah, moving on. So I just need to understand what is it about orange? (laughs) Uh, yeah. So I, it's interesting because I don't, I don't know the exact moment. So it's been cool because I'm working on a series of poems, and each one is a different. it's like a different origin story. Cause I don't know if it was one, it could have been uh, the Mets. Uh, Cause the Mets, the baseball team are, are is orange. Uh, it could have been that uh, Michelangelo is my favorite Ninja Turtle. Uh, and he is orange. Um, and there, there are a few other moments that I remember, but I don't know which one was first. Uh, but I just know that I, I, I don't know. I just became obsessed with this color to, to a very um, scary degree. Because um, in that first poem, I talk about uh, sixth grade. And I, I literally, they called me in middle school, they called me orange boy because I wore full orange. Um, so everything, literally everything. So the shirt, the pants, the socks, the shoes, no the book bag, the jacket, the hat. No <laughs> um, it was, it was, it was uh, not. Uh, the best choice, but I—that I, was my degree of um, obsession um, with this color. And I think I've always liked it because nobody else likes it. Uh, people have very, very strong feelings about orange. Uh, I've come to understand. Does the, <laughs> yeah. Does Syracuse have an MFA program? Do you know? They do. Yeah, actually, I have a friend. They are the orange like- men. You could have gone there, but no, you went to Mississippi. Yeah. I did. Well, uh, thankfully, I'm not choosing things based on orange. <laughs> you know, life, life choices. That would not put me in the best situations. <laughs> so, so why Mississippi from uh, New York to Mississippi? And it doesn't, you don't yeah. often see that. <laughs> like, 
Not, not at all. This is my second year and my family still gives me shit. Um, they're like, what the fuck are you doing there? Um, <laughs> and I take, you know, I take that in stride. Uh, <laughs> but honestly, I was, I was really kind of running away from New York a little bit. Um, New York is very busy. Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, I was, I was juggling a lot of things. I had, I was a high school um, administrator. I was running uh, Project X, the, the arts organization. Um, I was touring and I, I just had no time to write. I had, I had no time to do anything. And so I kind of came to the conclusion, I'm like, I really, I have to go somewhere far away that is quieter, um, where there's, I, I personally want somewhere with nature um, and a place that was a full ride that paid for everything, uh, which was very, very important aspect. Um, and yeah, I just needed like a slower pace, quieter space because, God, New York. I love New York forever and ever, but uh, it's just the hustle is never ending. Um, so, yeah. So you're definitely one, uh, at least as far as I, I'm aware and have seen, you know, kind of came uh, up through very much through the slam scene and whatnot. And uh, the age old rivalry of page versus stage. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what has, how has going through this MFA program I don't want to say changed you, but like, how has it affected you and your work and your style and just your understanding of this thing we call poetry? Yeah, um, I love that question because, and I I love it because of when I look back at where I started and like you know fully what you were said fully started in slam uh, in New York specifically in high school with Urban Word, um, and I was like die hard like fuck page poetry like spoken word is the true like it's we're theater we're power we're freaking performers it's it's amazing um very very high school mentality uh and yeah and i i, I honestly believe that like you had we could do more as artists with spoken word there are more options um there are more like choices um in terms of how to present the poem and, and things like that and a beautiful fantastic moment i had uh I'd say probably three years before I got here, when I really shifted from writing spoken word to writing page poetry, was to realize the possibilities that were on the page, um, and you know how the poem actually looks and all the different ways that that we can explore that and how I can translate the things that I was doing on the stage onto the page um, in in like new and amazing ways. And I had really cut myself off from that. I told myself that's not you know that's not the wave. I shouldn't go and do that. Um, and so I had that shift while I was still in New York, which really led me to apply to the MFAs. And here it's only gotten, you know, more in depth, more immersive um, with the professors I'm working with and the things that I'm learning, the, the different just like books that I'm reading. Uh, it's been like really fantastic. But I definitely have kept some strands of the spoken wordness uh, for sure, I think, in the work. So then how, how long have you been uh, submitting uh, written work? Yeah, I want to say that was 12 years, probably six, six years. Okay. Five, five or six. And, uh, and I, this next part of the question, uh, are you aware of how petty other poets are? <laughs> if... <laughs> If SLAM teaches you anything, specifically the national competitions teaches you anything, uh, it is the pettiness of SLAM and SLAM poets. All right, but what about the pettiness of page poets? Uh, yeah, no, for sure. The petty, sure. yeah, manifests itself absolutely. And like more so the ivory towerness. Cause you know, yeah. I'm, I'm also not ashamed of where I came from, you know? So I'm always like, oh yeah, I started in spoken word. I still believe in, in what spoken word can do. And so I, I still like, I mean, I still organize and, and do a lot of, of work around that. And, you know, people still kind of turn their nose to it. And like, the, you're, you're published in poetry. Yeah. And I know so many poets, they're like, nah, fuck them. And like, yeah, it's because you didn't get in. Right. But like, <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's, that's pretty amazing. Uh, you know, uh, especially like for the, those who weren't straight up just page poets. Mm-hmm for a long time that was kind of a barrier uh was you know they did it wasn't really acceptable uh by the by academia mm -hmm. to be from the spoken word scene 
Um, and I'm not sure. I mean, you talked about how getting encountering some of that. Uh, but then you also are in Canto Mundo, uh, which is also is. I mean, congratulations. Um, all the all all your fellowships. Um, do you still encounter a little bit of that? Uh, but yeah, he's a spoken. He's just a spoken word artist, or he's. Yeah, not um, not anymore, honestly. Um, and I, I think that's a huge testament to to people like Denez Smith, um, to people like Sam Sachs, um, people who really like were huge in the spoken word, and then they were like, we can do it all, uh, but, and we can you know play around and and show those possibilities. And I think that popular that national popularity has kind of like tone down the amount of people kind of turning their nose and being like, oh, these are separate worlds and, and things like that. Because I definitely felt that, I would say, five or six years ago when I first started transitioning. And now I, I really see a lot less of that, um, for sure. Yeah, I really do believe that some of, the, some of the people that are producing the best work out there are really moving the mark on what poetry is, are those people that are able to blend the two together, you know? And it blows my mind that, like, so I heard an interview with uh, Patricia Smith, speaking of Denise Smith on the Versus podcast, where she said like she would be on panels and they would just introduce her as, and spoken word artist, Patricia Smith. And it's like, she got way more accolades than just spoken word artist, you know? Right. Uh, and, it's the, yeah, and it's fun because they use that to like pigeonhole you. It's like, oh yeah, you're that, you're that thing. And here you are, it's like, no, <laughs> that's not the overarching. Um, you know, Frank Hicks says you're published in the rattle. That's amazing to me. <laughs> so we all tried that one too. Didn't get into that. No, no. Plenty of rejection letters is what's in my inbox. Right? <laughs> all, all of us, all inboxes. Right. Um, let me ask you about something. Well, let me, let me first mention something and then ask you, uh, cause you had that poem about, uh, the the nail polish. Uh, what was the name of that color? Um, oh, uh, baby, it's bold outside. Baby, it's bold outside. So, so I, in case you don't know, it is not just nail polishes. All cosmetic products have amazing names, and I've always wondered who has that job, who gets to name them, and why can't I have that? So that's just a side hustle. Maybe look into it. Yes. Naming cosmetic products could be great. Um, but yeah, I saw one of my homies put that in the chat. <laughs> yeah. He was like, yeah, that, that is the, that would be an amazing job. It, <laughs> it is. Um, and I think it, for those people that know me, like I worked for Mac for nine years, came across a lot of amazing names. And I was yeah. like, whoever came up with that is fire. Um, but working in a cause in the cosmetics industry, I often, you know, would go to work in a, full face of makeup, right? And I remember, cause it's always in the mall, walking through the mall, it was like, I was just trying to get to the Mac counter as quickly as possible, right? I don't wanna walk through the food court. I don't wanna see people, just go, get to my safe space, the Mac counter where it is okay for me to have this eyeshadow and highlighting contour on. Um, I don't wanna make any assumptions about anyone's uh, gender identity, but just off of that bold lip and amazing earrings, you know, um, you definitely, I, I want to say are non-conforming to gender standards. How is moving through life like that? And, um, when did you feel comfortable expressing yourself that way? When did that? Yeah. yeah. Um, so <clears throat> I want to say it start or when did I first, first, God. I mean, to be completely honest, the first time, you know, I painted my nails was like in a corner quietly, just doing it myself, right? Um, didn't go outside, didn't do it for anyone. And um, that kind of was the course also with uh, clothing that I wear, because the clothing that I wear also, uh, it's not gender conforming. Um, and it's interesting because the move to Mississippi coincided uh, with that as well. Um, like I said before, I ran away from New York, but I ran away from New York for a, a few different reasons. Um, and uh, that was one of them. Uh, all my family is in New York and I didn't necessarily feel comfortable um, exploring myself in that way and feeling like I could go outside, um, dress the way I wanna dress and looking the way I wanna look. Um, and 
and I knew I wanted to go somewhere far uh, for that for for that reason, um, not just to write about it, but to live it um, mm-hmm. fully. And and I've I'm in a very very special place right now, um, and a joyful place right now, where you know I've been here a year and I've been able to do that. Uh, well, before the pandemic, because, uh, <laughs> but I've I've really been able to do that the past uh, year and a half, um, and it's meant everything, uh, everything, everything to me, um, to to go on that. And but it, it's hard because I can only do that here. Um, I don't I don't necessarily publicize my shows and things like that to my family because I haven't uh, had that conversation. Mm. Um, yeah, and I try not to go to back back to New York too often, also for that reason. Mm. I, I guess, and my my curiosity after that is the place that you picked to do that in is is Oxford, Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> like, that, uh, and what's that been like? Yeah, like the red state. Uh, yeah, no. So I. <laughs> I lo- that's the reaction I get from from all my close friends. Like, yo, totally your identity. I get it, absolutely. But Mississippi, <laughs> probably not the best place. Uh, probably not the most accepting place. Um, but I I will say I was very pleasantly surprised. Um, there is a very strong queer community here um, that I did not believe was here. I was like. Oxford, Mississippi. I guess I'm just gonna wait. I just I'm gonna be here. Um, but there are like pockets uh, here for sure in, in the in the college community. And again, before the pandemic, um, amazing group that was throwing parties and get-togethers and um, all these different like small gatherings of of people who identified um, as queer. And and God, I, I really miss that um, after the the pandemic. So it's it's actually been uh, surprising. Because uh, I definitely, I will out myself first and foremost as someone who had a very stereotypical uh, idea of Mississippi um, as a New Yorker. And I have uh, definitely learned a lot being down here, um, specifically from my friends here who are from the South, who are from Mississippi, who are like, you don't know. You just, you think you know, but you don't know. <laughs> um, and it's, it's been wonderful. Uh, yeah. Well, welcome to the South. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I definitely second that notion that it is often in these smaller communities where you see those kind of like tighter knit niches of communities that are just so much stronger because it's like we only have each other, you know. Um, but and props to you on your on your journey and as 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 it is now and as it will continue to evolve throughout your throughout your life. Um, with that being said, I imagine. Halloween is a time for you that is liberating. Um, word gets around that you get pretty creative about Halloween. <laughs> Talk to us. Yes. Halloween is my favorite holiday. <laughs> my favorite, favorite holiday. It's um, orange. Because it's orange. There's so many things to love, y'all. So many things to love. Uh, it's freaking, there's goat. I love horror. I love horror movies. I love all those things. Um, it's orange. Um, and the costumes, uh, specifically making costumes. So um, I, I am the proud son of a teacher. My mom is a second grade teacher. And, and again, it's interesting how these things go around because as a kid, I was so embarrassed that my mom would dress up for Halloween every year. Um, she would go to work uh, dressed fully. She would go on the train, go fully to work in like full like body paint, makeup, all these crazy because she would do costumes connected to the curriculum with her students. And then she, we would go, you know, trick or treating. Um, and she was the only adult really in my life that was dedicated to, to Halloween um, and really instilled in me this ability to just to, to really celebrate the, the holiday and to, to use your skills um, to make something from scratch. Cause she would, she would really do some amazing stuff um, with uh, makeup and with body paint and all those different things. Um, so I kind of have taken that. And so for the past, God, since my first year of college, that was 2011, uh, I've like done a costume uh, every single year, but specifically the past four years, I've specifically been doing uh, Latinx superheroes. Um, so I've been in a lineage of that um, uh, back to back to back, um, which has made me very, very happy. And so I'm doing that once again this year. Um, and I'm very. Wait, very, so, so, so which ones? Yeah. yeah. So when, uh, who did I do the first year? 
I'm blanking on the first one. Um, the second one was uh, Ghost Rider, um, mm-hmm. but Robbie Reyes, uh, the the reincarnation of of Ghost Rider. Uh, the next year was um, uh, Spider Girl, um, who's uh, Puerto Rican. Fun fact. Um, and then I got really, I'm really nerdy. Uh, I go really deep into the uh, <laughs> the archives. Um, uh, last year I was Echo, who's a, a Mexican and Native American uh, superhero. Um, and this year, uh, I'm going to be, uh, Crazy Jane, who's from Doom Patrol, um, which is a comic and TV show. Um, Diane Guerrero is, uh, is, uh, the actress who plays her, which is fantastic. Um, and she has 64 different personalities. I'm going to be one of the personalities, uh, <laughs> which is very cool. <laughs> uh, so yeah. Awesome. Amir Safi agrees. He, he's, he's got the heart yeah, the hearts there. I know. I was really curious. I was like, "Wait, what? 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 Latinx superheroes?" Because Eddie has a whole poem about like, "Where are the Mexicans, Marvel Cinematic Universe?" <laughs> but they're out there. Yeah, and we'll see. I think every time. So, I don't, um, my poem is specifically about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But after I do it, uh, some super uber uh, comic book nerd will come up to me and give me an entire list of others, to which I always say. Yes, but they're not in the MCU. I but I know they're. I know that they're out there, and, and that's that's really awesome that to highlight them because they're not as mainstream as regular Spider-Man, you know, or as Iron Man or as Superman. You know, those those are the ones that we commonly know. Yeah. Uh, but the Latinx ones, we we don't, you know, for whatever reason. Props to you bringing them out. Uh, for, you need to do a whole like photo I series. Love, I would love to uh, see that poem. Yeah, no, because <laughs> you're right. They're they're there, but they're very much like not. Ta- no one takes advantage of. It. They don't put them anywhere. They don't put them into you know into the different. I mean, the closest. I have a I have a running list of the closest we get, and like I watch all the movies and all the TV shows. Luis, Luis so, is the one we get. That's all we get. He's not, he's got no powers. No, <laughs> he tells a story. <laughs> That's a good power. Well, that poem is on right about now. They just put it out a couple couple days ago, so you can go yes. look it out. But yeah, props to you for shining light on that. And uh, you need to do a whole like photo series or something with that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's your next like small chapbook. You know, a poem from the perspective of Latinx superheroes. I don't know. It's true. Hey, uh, you know, people should go to my Instagram for the poems, but also all my costumes are documented on Instagram. That's Boom. What I do. We're gonna do that next. Uh, Follow-up question on that, though, because you said Latinx superheroes. And this is kind of like a, a question that I've been asking uh, all of uh, our guests uh, this month. Uh, is that question about identification? Have you always uh, considered your – do you go Boricua first? Do you go Latinx first? Do you go Puerto Rican first? How is it that you identify? And has that ever changed throughout the years? <laughs> uh, it has changed numerous times. Um, and – I'm very happy for that because it, it changes every time I learn, um, every time I educate myself um, to learn more about like where these terms come from and just what they mean and, and even how they're being um, appropriated and, and utilized either to support us or to, against us. Right. Um, so. So, yeah. And, you know, when I was younger, I mean, it's interesting when I was younger, my parents always were like, you know, you're Puerto Rican. That's that's it. Um, and then it was only when. I went to, I got a, a scholarship to go to a private high school, um, which was very jarring and it's a very long conversation, um, but it's just a bunch of rich white space. And so in that space, it's interesting that because there were so few of us, we, I, that's where I really learned about Latinidad because then we were able to kind of, well, we were kind of forced. They kind of put us all together and they were like, you know, you need to know each other and be together. And, <laughs> and for a while I was like, yeah. Um, you know, Latinx strong and we're all, you know, have similarities and things like that. Um, and that shifted again when I learned about my African heritage and started identifying as Afro-Latino um, and then shifted again with my gender and then saying Latinx. And now actually I don't, I don't use Latinx uh, anymore. I just, I'm Puerto Rican um, because I, I don't, I, I'm very much more interested in how, in, in the ways which we've been cut off, specifically I'm speaking for Puerto Ricans, where, you know, as, as a Puerto Rican, and I would argue also as the, as the Dominican and Cuban, we're told to have connections to 
to all these other identifiers or all these other countries in South America and Central America because we speak Spanish, but are not told to have connections with the rest of the Caribbean. And so I'm, I'm in a time right now where I'm thinking of myself as Caribbean um, and as Puerto Rican and thinking about how there's a lot more cultural similarities uh, there, but because of anti-Blackness, we're, we're told not to, to connect to that um, often, mm -hmm. to, to Haitians, to Jamaicans, um, to Antiguans, right? Um, and so that's kind of where I am right now. I'm sure it's gonna change again the more that I read, the more that I, I teach myself, you know, um, mm -hmm. what's, what's going on. I love that insight, that's great. Um, so then let me ask you similarly, this is a question I've been asking everybody that's been coming on this month month um twofold question first one what is your favorite thing about puerto rico mm. my favorite thing god I, i'm gonna be really specific i've only experienced it one time um and i would love to again uh but it's the paranda um the the paranda is uh the christmas celebration um, that, that Puerto Rico has on the island um, specifically. And it's, it's this beautiful, it's, it's kind of, it's like Puerto Rican uh, Christmas caroling. Um, mm -hmm. So you go from house to house uh, singing Puerto Rican Christmas carols. Um, and which is also like very historic, um, like campo music, uh, which is very beautiful. Um, and you go and it's a very communal event where like every house you go to, people feed you. Um, so you go, you're singing, you like dance a little bit, you, um, you get some food and then you keep moving along. And there's this whole procession, like they have dancers and they have um, the masks that they make for the occasion. And I had known about it because again, shout out to my mom who, who has always been very in touch with our Puerto Rican culture. She would do a, a paranda in the Bronx. Um, so we would go um, with the instruments. My mom has a bunch of the instruments and she has the pava, which is the, the Hebrew Puerto Rican hat. Um, and we would go uh, from door to door, like singing uh, songs. And she does it with her students as well. And, but I finally, when I was, God, I want to say this was in 2006 or 2007. I finally got to go to Puerto Rico during in December for Christmas, and I got to experience a real um, baranda, um, and it was just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I love that. It's very similar to a, a very Mexican tradition, uh, and the word is escaping me at the posada. moment. Posada, yes, the posada <laughs> that they, 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 that we do. Uh, but I like your version so much better. Our, <laughs> we, our sing, we, only, we only go to one house and we sing to each other. And we, we sing to each other. other and it's basically yeah. like, let us in. No, you can't yeah. come in. Let <laughs> us in. No, you can't come in. Let yeah. us in. Okay, fine. Come on in. <laughs> and then we have some pozole. Yeah. But, uh, the paranda, like with two hours, uh, paranda is like when you're going on an all night party, like a real, like a rager. You know, that's, uh, that's one under the paranda, you know. So when you said it, I was like, you're going to talk about a party? Like, <laughs> I mean, kind of, I mean, you know, a little bit, right? It's just yeah. like, it's a party of different places. <laughs> I <laughs> love that. Um, part two of the question, what is your favorite Puerto Rican dish? <sighs> My favorite Puerto Rican dish. Oh, I know, hard hitting. Hard. <laughs> hard hitting. This is sixty minutes with Chibi and Eddie. <laughs> um, I think it's funny actually because it's it's connected to Christmas time too. But um, pateles, um, pateles are uh, so it's mashed green plantain, um, and within and, and inside it you put like different meats. You could put chicken or, or pork. Um, and olives and different vegetables, and they wrap it in a banana leaf, um, and you you kind of eat it from there. Um, it's a very long process to make it, but it's funny because in the Bronx you have like the patele lady, so everybody has a person who they go to, and they they make them and they freeze them. So you like go. So every Christmas we would go to you know someone's house, like my mom's friend or my mom's coworker, and we would pick up like two huge bags of frozen patelas, and they're like long rectangles, uh -huh. um, like that 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 size. Um, and we you like boil them and then reheat them and, and eat them for Christmas. It's like it's like the the Puerto Rican tamale. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, and no. Like, yes and no. <laughs> yeah. I, I had I, I was married to a Puerto Rican, so uh, they are you, they have the same look, maybe slightly texture, 
um, and, but not the same uh, flavor um, palettes, you know, uh, at all. Very, very different. And it's, I mean, there's some, something about, I think um, our indigenous cultures all were good about wrapping things up and then like steaming them, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, using that, every part of the every part and, and, and yeah and that's i think that's where all that that comes from mm -hmm. um but yeah that is those are amazing amazing dish arroz con gandules i thought you might say that or the mm -hmm. and then at, at christmas or is it new christmas or new year's that you have a penny um, oh yeah penelis for christmas too yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. christopher daniels says uh called it he apparently knew you he knew uh, yeah. um we do have a great question from Frank Hicks here. Um, he was saying, amazing dialogue. You are clearly identified as who you are, which seems to me the most important thing. Are labels still important? I'm, I mean, I like to be honest and say that I'm still in that conversation. I'm still in that kind of process thing. Um, uh, specifically when I think of intersectionality, like where multiple identities kind of kind of overlap, right? Um, and I, it's interesting, again, because for a long time, and I, I want to name the, the, the factors that kind of push us toward these things, right? Because I'm thinking, again, of this private high school I went to where because we were, there were so few people of color that they very much wanted to box us into these different things. And then they wanted us, like, naturally, those clubs then had to run the events for these different months, you, you know? And it, it's this ownership of work that frustrates the hell out of me that then it's like, you identify as this thing, so now you have to teach us and now you have to know all the things about it and be proud about it all the time, right? And, and I've seen that as a narrative throughout my life, specifically when I think about spoken word and how, you know, when I go on tour, or when I think about bookings, so much of it is, is around identity months. You know, mm -hmm. people it's the thing I talk about with other, you know, Latinx identifying poets where it's just like, you know, I, I get all the shows in, uh, in October and, and September. And then, who the, you know, I got to pay my bills in, in March, uh, in, in the spring and mm -hmm. people, you know, it, and it, it's very much, I, I'm at a point where I'm like, God, these labels backfire very often. Um, and I don't know how helpful they are at times. Um, especially when we, we kind of use them as, as banners instead of going in depth of like, you know, actually the people themselves um, and who you are beyond just this label. Um, but then on the other side, as a community organizer, they're very helpful. You know, that, that's how you kind of, um, I don't know, that's how you rally people to a certain extent. That's how you bring them together. That's how you make them feel like this is a, a you know, a safe space, but a space that, that can be as safe as, as it can be. Um, but I, I'm, still, I'm still dealing with that. I'm reading a lot of um, Alan uh, Be Belias Lopez. Um, it's an amazing uh, queer Afro-Mexicano, Afro-Mexicanics um, poet, scholar, and who's really grappling with these questions of labels and what does that look like um, for, yeah, for us? Yeah, I think it's definitely labels can can be an anchor in both ways. You know, like one, it can be something that grounds you, you know, and like gives you certainty in where you're at, but it can also be something that can hold you back, you know, and keep you in place. So. I, I kind of want to mention colors again, and just just <laughs> bear with me. Uh, I've created playlists of just color songs, songs with colors in them. Everything from like yellow Ledbetter to Bodak yellow to blue eyes crying in the rain. So that's that's where I, that's how corny I am about my playlists. But we're on the street is you do you you like playlists too, but for a different reason. Mm -hmm. it Wait, 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 before you jump into this, because I do have to set the scene here. You know, I grew up in the time where burnt CDs, if somebody made you a burnt CD of a mix of something, that meant something. I imagine Eddie grew up in the time of... Oh, yes, Chippy. Mixtapes? Yes. Real mixtapes? Real mixtapes? Real mixtapes. Real mixtapes. Real mixtapes. <laughs> if you were going to say 8-tracks or something, then I was going to no, say... No, no, no. I was going to say tapes. I was going to say tapes. Okay. <laughs> mixtapes. Burnt CDs. Tapes. I some Memorex somewhere. And um, now, it's, now it's 2020. Now it's 2020. You got Spotify yeah. playlists. Now it's Spotify playlists. Yeah. Talk to us. Yeah, it's I mean, it's it's just transitioned, right? And I'm very much that you know that that '90s generation where you you told somebody like you 
you love that you were about them when you gave them. And it's funny because I, God, I'm very much a, a nostalgia head. So I, I have a, I have a big collection of VHSs. I have a big collection of CDs. Um, uh, I just, just feel very connected to that. So I actually have a stack of um, CD mixtapes um, <laughs> from middle school that I still have, uh, which is fantastic. Um, but yeah, no, I, I was laughing earlier because this is a side note, but um, I went back to New York in August because uh, it had been so long and I missed my family. Um, and my, I have two younger siblings uh, who are both in high school and they gave me so much shit because they found my Spotify and they went through all my playlists and they were making fun of me, one, for making playlists uh, and two, for the, the names that I gave them. What? Because <laughs> I, I personally, I like to make playlists for each day. So I have a, a playlist for Monday through Sunday and they're just called like the days. So that, that just gets me through certain uh, days. Um, but I, I just bring that up to say like every, every like generation is, I don't know, there's a different view of it, right? And, and what it looks like and they, they think it's corny. Um, but I, I, you know, I'm very much from that place where I'm like, you know, I, I want to make this for you. And I've been on a binge of making playlists for specifically for my best friends. Um, as a love language, like, I'm like, you know, I want to, I want to give you this thing where, you know, it's carefully curated. I'm thinking of the mood, the story, the narrative, um, and how all these things flow together. And the only thing is that it takes me a long time because I really, I want to be very particular, um, when I give the gift of a, a playlist to someone. Um, yeah. now would you consider, cause I, I saw this, uh, one of one of our friends, Edward Vidaure, uh, he, he, he's a poet and he published, he's from the Valley or Rogue Grand Valley. Um, he had a book called Jazz House mm-hmm. and he made a playlist to accompany the book when he released it. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah. So would you, maybe, maybe that's, uh, when you published and you're so good at making playlists. The other thing is we're going to need to know your Spotify account so we can follow oh, yeah. these playlists. <laughs> I am curious. Oh, no. Now weekday thing is, is I'm really curious about that. Um, not not just us. The whole internet now knows. No, that's true. Now yeah, yeah. it uh, needs to know your spot. Need to know. Put that up on the little thing. You know. <laughs> oh no, that's that's good. I I have seen a few artists or writers do that recently, making the playlist for their book release, and I unquestionably that is happening. No, no, no question. No, <laughs> the art so of the playlist is completely <laughs> overlooked and, you know, and under, under something, the word is not coming to me, uh, underappreciated. <laughs> yes. Underappreciated because there is something about having a playlist for a moment, for a mood, mm-hmm. uh, for an event, whatever the case may be like. And when it's carefully curated, you're like, yeah, song after song after song you're like that's the one i needed to hear that's totally the one i needed to hear so props to you for keeping that alive. and you know what i think that after this chibi and i are gonna have to make a words and shit uh playlist uh, uh, that's a new, um adventure um yeah that's we may have to we may have to enlist the help of other right art out yes people. yes very true and Rooster is a master playlister. <laughs> it'll come out somewhere in 2022 when we're not busy. Big <laughs> Please, so, yeah. I was. Oh no! Go. I, I was just gonna say this. You just remind me of the the Latinx anthology that came out last year. Um, of like oh, all yeah. the, um, it was curated by um, Felisa Chavez, Jose Olivares, and Willie Pordoma, and they made a playlist. Um, and it's on Spotify, and that playlist is really good. Um, and it. Yeah, again, just like I think yeah, I yeah. saw that today. You're right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Is it just called Latin Latinx Anthology yeah. or yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what it was, but now that you explained it, I'm like, oh that that's why that popped up. Okay. Later tonight. So I just I just have one more question. Um <laughs> you mentioned in your in one of your poems about Washington Heights. Um and uh, small backstory, I was in a production of In the Heights a few years ago. And so somehow this little Latin boy from, from Laredo, Texas, from Guadalajara, just like I fell in love with Washington Heights and I've like never even been there, but I just felt so connected because of that play. Um, what is it that makes a place like Washington Heights so special for those that have never been there? Oh, this is a great question because I live there. Um, 
for, uh, let me see, four years. Uh, I lived in Washington Heights. Um, I, God, I love Washington Heights so much. Um, and I, I think I said this before I read the poem, but, but also like it's, they named it, I think a year and a half ago as uh, Little DR. Um, as a historic um, place um, for for Dominicans um, who had uh, immigrated, uh, the Heights specifically is is so beautiful because it's it's a it's a Dominican neighborhood like tried and true, um, and it's funny actually. I was talking to to a friend who was like born and raised there, um, and he was saying how you know the the Dominican people who have lived there they own a lot of the the property like their businesses the property and so the reason they've they've been holding out so strongly against gentrification um is because just from early on they very much invested in that um in that neighborhood and in that space um and you feel it it's palpable um and it's it's actually interesting because that's the same reason i love san antonio um is because <laughs> of that palpable just like I don't know, Spanish speaking identity uh, space where the people have made the space their, their own in that history. And so the Heights is a very, very special place in my heart um, for just being tried and true to itself because, you know, the streets are lined with people just out there playing dominoes, blasting bachata, um, people yelling and going shopping and, and doing all the things that they, mm. they, they need to do. And I, um, I miss it very much. Mm. <clears throat> awesome. My heart is full. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you. Yeah. For, for all of this, this was a great conversation. It was. Thank y'all. Uh, but we're not done. We need, we need one more work from you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you would please close us out with one more poem. Let's do it. <clears throat> uh, I specifically say this one because it's new shit. Uh, and new I, shit. I miss that. I miss hearing that. <laughs> I miss hearing that so much. Shout out to Spoken Word, Islam, Environments. Um, so yeah, this is very new. Um, and this is, uh, from a, a trip I took to Sevilla, Spain. Um, and Sevilla has 10,000 orange trees, um, throughout the city. Uh, and so this is another poem about orange, um, about, uh, how I spent my time there and just what that means. Yeah. <clears throat> Sevilla and orange. Amor is what I would have called you on our third date, were shame not an obedient servant of time. Here in the devil's orchard of my heart, I sneak your name between gloved hands, like the delicate snatching of fruit. This city is such a contradiction. 10,000 orange trees lining every block, and we wonder why people hunger. A bitter birth, one eye but no mouth, your name meaning oracle or prophetess, once a magician pulled my handwritten name from inside a locked orange, sliced surgical, and so fast I must have missed his nature. How did you hide right in front of me? That night, I follow my singing throat to a club rooted deep in your hips. We dance beneath palmetto palms, your beard shooting holes through me and calling it practice. For what I know too well, your tongue ticking like bronze leaf. Folded and sparkling, our shoulders vined into the rhythm as only Caribbean boys can. You stumble away. Strobe light lesson. I dare blame it all on orange. The slow coming out, orange. The first dress, orange. The grave of my taste, orange. Fuck. I would have dined you silly and delicate. Yes, all I wanted was to hold your hand. A revolution at brunch an occasion, a gorging, a bouquet of fingertips. I find you outside smoking a cigarette I want to be. Days later, you will say, I ran away because I forgot your name and perhaps because your kisses were so incredibly delicate. I lay birthmark to the word, the father of goosebumps, nails licked and balming lips, the last tingling hover before attempt, a static wet dream clinging to everything I wasn't raised to be. To all the men who treated me like stone instead of skin, I ask, can't all this citrus be mine? Thanks, y'all. Applause, 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 applause. I have...
Thank you so much for that, man. I, 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 I'm, I'm from the Rio Grande Valley of South Texas. I grew up around orange groves um, all the time. I went to go pick them sometimes. Um, orange. It's a very different experience. <laughs> orange. 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 orange always there. So like, I think orange is a bit of my life, my life too. And I have been avoiding the orange. So thank you. Maybe now it's got to come front and center. Come back around. And I just, I want to clarify. I, I don't dislike oranges. Just the okay. color. <laughs> My parents have an orange tree in their backyard every winter. I'm like, fuck yes. Fresh squeezed orange juice is coming. Uh, I'm all for it. But um, thank you for being on here. We've got some fantastic comments coming through. Uh, if you get a chance, go back and look at them on the live feed. Uh, Frank Hicks wanted to make sure that you knew uh, he says, thank you. Very insightful. I have learned a lot for an old white guy. So thank you. Uh, <laughs> you know what, guys? That's, that's the job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One old white guy at a time. Uh, no, but for real, for real. Thank you for coming on uh, and sharing your insights, sharing a little bit more about you, who you are, your journey, your trajectory, and all your words and shit. Right. Words and shit. Thank you both so much. I love well, you. Know, and I want to thank you also because you brought you brought some people out to our show that that we hadn't seen before. So shout mm -hmm. out to you for bringing them on, and shout out to them for for being here with us tonight. Do like our show and come back. We got lots of great poets uh, that we that we mm -hmm. interview. Yeah. Thank you, Noel. Thanks, y'all. Speaking of great poets that we got going on, oh Eddie, yes. who's coming to next uh, tomorrow? Yeah, we've got some week. awesome poets here, and I'm not gonna rank them or anything, but uh, th this particular artist coming out um, has been on the slam stage, has but is also like best-selling author of poetry, several books already. Uh, Jessica Salgado will be coming on. Uh, words and shit with us next week. We will see her right here. So tune in, please. So excited. Yes. So thank you everyone who tuned in next week. Jessica Salgado is coming on. If you want to catch past episodes of Words and Shit, we are now a podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Words and Shit. We're also now on Instagram and Twitter. That's right. At, at Words and Shit. And of course, you can always follow Write Art Out and The Blah Poetry Spot on Facebook and Instagram to find out about all the amazing things that they slash we are putting on, including writing workshops for the youth, writing workshops for people of all ages, open mics, all of that. Yes, Eliseo Sejo podcast. I said podcasts. Go and look it up. Words and shit. It's everywhere. And we have all our, most of our past episodes. I'm working on it. We're editing it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's happening uh so thank you guys again for tuning in um until next time that was eddie vega and that was chibi orduña y'all stay safe out there good night everybody <laughs> <laughs>